Um, good morning. Um, the reading this morning is from Romans. Um, first, from chapter 1, I'm going to read verse 16 and 17. And then we're going to turn to chapter 3 in Romans. And I'll read from verse 19 to 26. So Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And then turning to chapter 3, I'm starting at verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, of the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Right, there's a title for you this morning, The Six Solas of the Reformation. Anybody know, heard of that phrase, the solas? Anybody heard them? A few of you, okay, why, why, does, uh, why does that seem a little strange? Anybody know? Why does that title of six seem a little strange? Because there were only what? There were only five, but I've added one. And you'll have to wait until the end to figure out or stay with me on it. There are six. Well, there should have been six. Let's start here. Labels. Labels are important, aren't they? Labels are important. If, for example, you want to know what the alcohol content is on a particular drink, you look at the label. If you want to know what sort of products are in a particular item of food that you want to buy, you look at the label. A label is an identifying marker. But when it comes to labeling people, it can be quite tricky today, can't it? If you ever fill in an information form, they ask you, are you male, female, or 
other. Labels are tricky. Religious labels can also be very tricky. Let me give you an example. How about the label Christian? Does that mean a liberal Christian? An evangelical Christian? A Mormon Christian? A Christadelphian Christian? A JW Christian? Or a Catholic Christian? Which one? Labels are tricky, aren't they? Let me give you another one. Baptist. The label Baptist is tricky. Is that independent Baptist? Is that reformed Baptist? Is it charismatic Baptist? Is it happy Baptist? Is it a busso Baptist? How about the word reformed? Is that Christian reformed? Is that Presbyterian reformed? Is it Anglican reformed? Does the word reformed mean Calvinism? And if it means Calvinism, are you a five-point Calvinism, a Calvinist, a four-point Calvinist, or a three-point? Or you just don't even have a point? October 31, 1517, 505 years ago, Martin Luther nailed what is famously known as his 95 theses. He nailed them to the Wittenberg Castle Church door, which God used to start what is known as the Reformation. These 95 theses were 95 complaints against the theological abuses of the Roman Catholic Church of that time. These 95 theses were then taken down by his supporters. They were copied and they were printed on the newly founded print and press and they were sent all over Europe, creating something of a firestorm of upheaval and change. The Reformation of the 16th century was a protest against the Roman Catholic Church that had corrupted the gospel. The Reformation was a recovery of the gospel which had been largely obscured for a thousand years. And when the Reformation came, it didn't just rebirth the gospel, but it rebirthed Christian schools, modern missions, theological colleges, and began the translation of the Bible into the languages of the world, which is still going on today. Today, 30th of October, 2022, we are celebrating Reformation Day. And what I want to do in these next few minutes is simply for you to see the gospel through the eyes of Martin Luther and to see it through the eyes of the Reformation that changed the world and upon which this church stands. The Reformation was built on what is known as the five solas. But again, I've added one, and we'll see where that goes. Here is the first one. They're in Latin. You'll know what they are. Here is the first sola. Here's the first building block of the Reformation. It was known as sola fide. Sola fide, meaning faith alone. Faith alone. Look at Romans 1.17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. 
This was, in essence, the struggle of Martin Luther's life until he became a Christian. In 1505, age 21, Luther was caught in a lightning firestorm. He was so scared, he thought he was going to die, he cried out to the Roman Catholic saint, St. Anne, St. Anne, help me! And if you help me, I will become a monk. Well, he survived the firestorm or the lightning storm. And a week later, he entered the monastery in order to fulfill his vow. And he began the excruciating journey of trying to earn his salvation. As a monk, Luther fasted, prayed, beat his body. He slept in snowstorms without clothes. He deprived himself of all worldly comforts, seeking to commend himself to God. But his guilt only remained and intensified. Luther would later say that if there was ever a monk that could earn his way into heaven by monkery, it was I. In 1510, November 1510, Luther then made a pilgrimage to Rome to find salvation. He took mass in Rome. He visited the holy sites. He, he cherished the relics. He bought the indulgences to free his soul from hell. But there was no peace. There was no solace for Luther. In April 1511, he was transferred to Wittenberg University in Germany, where he studied and taught the Bible. He would confess his sins as much as six hours a day. But there was no solace for this works-driven monk. Luther even taught the Bible to students, the book of Romans, the book of Galatians, the book of Psalms, but he was not a Christian. Finally, in 1516, the gospel light went on. Luther found what he was so desperately looking for, but had missed for so long. And there it is. This is what he found. Romans 1:17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. In the gospel, not in himself, not in works. In the gospel. And here's a beautiful quote from Martin Luther. He said, I finally understood that the righteousness of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us through faith. And as the light went on, as it landed on his soul, he said, I felt myself to be born again and I entered into the open doors into paradise. Up until that point, Martin Luther had literally nearly killed himself trying to earn forgiveness, trying to commend himself to God, trying to get this righteousness. But he finally got it. He finally understood. And this is what he said. The righteousness of God is not a reward for those striving for perfection, but a gift for the guilty given freely through the death of Christ to all who will come by faith to the Lord and humble themselves and repent of their sins and believe upon the Lord Jesus Faith alone in, the in terms of the Reformation was a recovery of the gospel that salvation comes by faith alone. It was a complete repudiation of all works, all human efforts, all, all self-commending of oneself to God. It was a repudiation of, of, of any works. Faith alone is the announcement that the gift of salvation in Christ is received exclusively through 
faith. And then just in case, here it is in Romans 3.22. Here's the light bulb that went on for him. This righteousness from God is given through faith or could be written in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to all who believe. You see, there is no righteousness for the sinner by works because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Faith is believing that Christ secures salvation, which means any good works, any rituals, any ceremonies, any relics, any indulgences, any confessions to a priest are absolutely useless. The very first nerve of the Reformation was sola fide. That's where Luther stood. That's where this church stands. That's where I stand. Where do you stand this morning? Is it sola fide? The second sola was sola Christos in Christ alone. Now faith alone and Christ alone cannot be separated, can they? Why? Because it's faith in Christ alone. It is Christ who is the object of our faith. And Christ alone means that His death on the cross provides the sufficient sacrifice or atonement covering all our sins. Sufficient. Verse 24. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. It is God who presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. There it is. You see it? You see the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ to be received by faith alone. So, in October 1520, around about four years after Luther had been converted, uh, the Pope got wind of this and issued what is known as a papal bull. A papal bull was basically a demand by the Pope that someone recant of what they're saying or they were going to be uh, excommunicated or even exterminated from the Roman Catholic Church. In 1520, Luther, in response, he wrote his famous treatise called The Babylonian Captivity, where he attacked the Roman Catholic priesthood, the sacramental system, and he called the Roman Catholic Church the Hall of Babylon. Luther had not read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. You see, the Roman Catholic Church taught, and they still do today, they teach that there are seven sacraments that, that go towards earning your salvation. If you do these things, they, they, they take you along the journey to salvation. Here are the seven sacraments of the Roman Catholic Church. One, infant baptism as a baby. Two, confirmation as a young person. Three, marriage as an adult. I'm not quite sure why the priests don't get married. Ordination into priesthood. Last rites on your deathbed. Mass through your life. Taking mass. And then confessions of, a, of your sins to a priest. But, said Luther, all saving grace is through what Christ did alone 
independent of all these sacraments. Quote, and this is beautiful, the cross is our theology. The cross is our theology. Luther said, you do not look to man, you look to Christ. You do not confess to a priest, you confess to Christ. You do not trust in a pope, you trust in Christ. There is one Savior, one mediator between God and man, and His name is Jesus Christ. And with that, Martin Luther blew the seven sacraments of the Roman Catholic Church out of the water and received himself another papal bull. Listen to this by Luther. Talking, he says, he, Christ, Christ at the cross. Listen to this. Here's the theology of the cross. He receives the worst about me. I receive the best about him. Oh, isn't that good? He receives the worst about me, and I get the best about him. And Luther called this the exchange of the gospel, or the exchange of the cross. The Reformation was a recovery of the gospel, that it's in faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from all baptisms, church memberships, works, sacraments, priests, pots, pans, and any other external paraphernalia. Sola Christos. That's where Martin Luther stood. That's where this church stands. That's where I stand. Where do you stand? The third one is sola scriptura. The third groundbreaking principle of the Reformation was known as sola scriptura, meaning in the scriptures alone, meaning that the final, all and final authority lay where? In the scriptures. You see, in the Roman Catholic Church, then as it is today, authority does not rest in Scripture alone. In the Roman Catholic Church, for example, the word of the Pope is at least on par with the Scripture, sometimes above Scripture, because when he speaks ex cathedra, he supposedly speaks the words of God even if they contradict the Scriptures. In the RCC, the Pope, traditions, church fathers, councils, have authority at least on par with the Word of God. The Roman Catholic Church formulated new doctrines. They granted indulgences, which was basically buying a lotto ticket, uh, buying a way out of purgatory. They said, the Roman Catholic Church, that they, they hold the keys to heaven and hell. They're the ones that have the authority to either grant, absolve people and forgive their sins. The Reformation blew the horn that final authority lay in the written Word of God, which is about Christ, to be received by faith alone. So, Luther earned himself another bull. And uh, in this particular papal bull, he was demanded from, uh, from the Pope that he had to recant of Sola Scriptura in 60 days. Luther burnt the bull. He burnt it. And he said, this bull condemns Christ himself. The Pope be condemned. The Word of God be held up and honored. 
But it was April 1521 when the moment of moment came when he was summoned to what is famously known as the Diet, the Diet, the Diet, Germans, uh, help me, uh, Heidi, the Diet of Worms, Worms, Worms. And uh, he was signaled to this place, and uh, he was presented before the Roman Emperor, King Charles V. And this particular archbishop that was there got right up into Luther's face and said this, I ask you, Luther, answer candidly and without horns, do you repudiate your books in which your views contain? It was the moment of moments. Luther knew that his life was on the line. And here's what he said. Since your majesties and lordships desire a simple reply, I will reply without horns. Unless I'm convinced by Scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and council that contradict each other. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Famous words, here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. You see, our authority is not in the Word of God plus Baptist theology. Our authority is not the Word of God plus church history. Our authority is not the Word of God plus creeds. It's not our emotions that dictate. It's not our feelings that dictate. It's not our feelings or emotions that are the authority on anything. It is the Word of God. It is the Word of God that is the final authority. Now let me say to you this morning that there are certain secondary doctrinal and non-moral things upon which Christians can differ and Christians on either side of those things can say, here I stand, here I stand on the Word of God and I can do no other. But in essential things like the person of Christ, the work of Christ, and essential things moral, the Bible is clear. The Bible is unequivocal. So, for example, the Bible is not muddy about homosexuality. The Bible is not muddy about same-sex marriage. The Bible is not muddy about sex before marriage. The Bible is not muddy on whom a Christian can marry. The Bible is not muddy on abortion. The issue is, do we stand on the authority of Scripture or don't we? Because that's what the Reformation was about. Luther stood on sola scriptura. That's where he stood. That's where this church stands. That's where I stand. What about you? What about you? Let me take you to the fourth one. Sola gratia, which means in grace alone. The, uh, the fourth battle cry, the fourth nerve of the Reformation was known as sola gratia, which says that salvation is a gracious, sovereign work of God alone. 
1521, sometime after the Diet of Worms, a, uh, a, a prominent theologian of the day by the name of Erasmus attacked Luther. Erasmus was an incredible theologian because he had actually translated the Bible from Latin into Greek. It's still one of the finest translations in existence. But when he attacked Luther, of all the issues that he could have attacked on, he attacked on grace alone. In the Reformation understanding of grace alone, listen carefully. In the Reformation understanding of grace alone, it means that man does not have a free will to choose Christ. Man's will by nature rejects Christ, so God must free man's will from its bondage so that it can choose Christ. Does that make sense? In other words, the heart of the issue could be put like this. What is sin's impact on the human will? What is the effect or the impact that sin has on man and woman's will? This resulted in what is famously known, it was a treatise, it's still in print today, by Luther called The Bondage of the Will, whereby he explains the inability of the human will under bondage to accept Christ. The human will is in bondage because of sin, therefore cannot accept Christ, must be freed in order to choose Christ. It was extraordinary, actually, that Erasmus attacked Luther on this issue. And when he did so, Luther responded to Erasmus by saying, You, Erasmus, you, you alone have seen the hinge upon which all turns. You see, in Luther's terms, the issue at hand was this. Is salvation something of, this is Luther's terms, is salvation something of pure grace or polluted grace? Is salvation all of God or is it part God, part man? These were the issues. Does God supply all of the grace, which is grace and faith, or does he just supply the grace and man supplies the faith? Luther said that if man supplies the faith, then man is a co-savior. Here's obviously the verse that he would appeal to. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Luther said that God supplies not just the forgiveness of sins through grace, God also supplies the gift of faith and the gift of repentance as well. He said that man contributes nothing. God contributes everything. God is the alpha and the omega of salvation. That God is the exclusive Savior to lost sinners, supplying all that is necessary, supplying both the grace and the faith. I guess you could reframe the question like this. Is God the author not just of justification, but also of faith? The way they framed it, is Christianity reliance upon God alone for salvation? Or is it reliance on God for 
some of the salvation, but the rest is supplied by man. Sola gratia was a distinguishing mark of the Reformation and of all those churches that would call themselves Reformed. It does go to the very heart of election and predestination. That salvation is all of grace. God supplies both the saving grace and the saving faith to sinners through what Christ has done alone. So for reformers like Luther, Zwingli, Bucer, Calvin, all of them, they would appeal to verses like this in John 15, 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you. They would appeal to scriptures like Philippians 1.29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Let me quote Luther again. He said, we make no contribution to the process of salvation except to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ using the faith alone that he gives us. What a quote that is. This is where... Luther stood. This is where this church stands. This is where I stand. Now, I know that here this morning in this body of believers, for example, there would be some significant differences in this. For some of you sitting here, you may believe that it is grace alone, but you really struggle with the very things that I've just brought to you through the words of Luther. I get that. But for some of you sitting here, you do not believe that God supplies the faith to believe, and you would be more on the side of God supplying the grace, but then God has given us something of a free agency or a free will to accept or reject. I want to say to you that this is a deeply divisive issue in the church as a whole. I don't mean BBC. I'm talking about the general church of Jesus Christ. But I can say that we've had our own battle over this particular issue. Some people that were part of this church, were members of this church, have left over this issue. But I want you to hear me today. Please hear me. If you are not grace alone in the Reformed understanding, it does not mean that you have to leave this church. Please don't leave this church. I hope you won't leave this church. Life in this body is broad enough and robust enough for Christians to be together, loving each other in fellowship with one another, though we may disagree on how this grace is affected. And what I'm about to say to you now, I hope that you will hear from the very bottom of my heart. I do not want you to hear from me, and I do not want you to hear from this pulpit today, that if you hold more to man's free will in some way, I don't want you to hear guilt. I do not want you to hear condemnation, and I do not want you to hear judgment. If this is something you're not sure about, if you're in a slightly different place because you stand on the Scriptures, but, but you stand in a slightly different place, and for want of a better way of putting it, you side more on the side of, 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 of man having some sort of free will. If that's where you stand today on your understanding of Scripture, I want to honor you. 
I want to honor you. I cannot preach or teach something that I do not believe is true to Scripture. But if you believe that God has given man a free will either to accept or reject the gospel by faith alone, that does not make you an unbeliever. You are a brother or sister in Christ, and you are welcome here. Would you please hear that from me, from my heart this morning? Let me take it one step further. When I started here around nine years ago, I truly believe that when I got here, I came in too hard on this issue. I do not believe I was gracious enough in accepting people that did not have a reformed understanding of grace alone. And I'm truly sorry for that. And I want to ask for your forgiveness today. It is very painful to realize you can be so committed to grace alone and be so ungracious. It's painful. You can be so committed to grace alone that you can be so ungracious with other Christians. Luther stood in sola gratia. That's where this church stands. That's where I stand. Where do you stand? And I pray and hope that even if you don't stand quite in the same place, that as Christians, there is a freedom to discuss, a freedom to talk without condemnation and judgment. And we can do so in an atmosphere of grace. Number five, as we head towards the end. Sola Deo Gloria, which means to the glory of God alone. The fifth nerve of the Reformation was known as Sola Deo Gloria. Here's, for Luther and the Reformers, they said, now listen, here's what they said. They said that any departure from grace alone would be to rob God of His glory. For Luther, as for all Christians, we want to bring glory to God, don't we? I mean, at the end of the day, that's the heart, isn't it? At the end of the day, we want to bring God glory, right? In what we believe and what we do. The very heart of every Christian life is the glory of God. I love the way the Westminster Catechism puts the the first question. The Westminster Catechism says, what is the chief end of man? You know the answer? I'm sure some of you do. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy God forever. You see, ultimate pleasure and joy is not found in exalting man. Ultimate pleasure and joy is not found in exalting yourself. Ultimate joy and pleasure is not found in exalting humanity. It is found in exalting God through Christ. 
People have expressed this in different ways. Here's uh, the way John Piper would express it. And if you've read any of his books, you'll know this is what comes through all the time that God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. That is a wonderful statement. Worthy of reflection and meditation. Luther stood on sola Deo Gloria. That's where he stood. That's where this church stands. That's where I stand. Where do you stand? I suppose I should have finished the sermon there. But there is one more. And I would have loved to see this become part of that. I'm going to put the word up. I'm going to put it up in Latin and you'll I'm sure you're going to figure out what it is. Do you know what sola amor is? Amor in Latin is? Love. To be honest, the Reformation did lack love in many times, in many places. Sola amor would be in love alone. You see, because if we, were, if we want to call ourselves a reformed church, whichever sort of label you want to put on that, we should be a church that is always reforming in, in love. And Jesus said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you. Hmm. How about this one? Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Or whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Nobody really likes labels today, right? But labels are labels, there will always be labels. You can't get away from a label. But it means that labels need to be defined, well, I guess understood well and defined well. But if you're going to make a stand, here I stand. Faith alone. Christ alone. Scripture alone. Grace alone. To the glory of God alone. If you're going to make that stand, it has to be on sola. Amor. Love. There are no more penetrating words than these, are there? From Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You see it? How about this? If I've got the gift of prophecy, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And I stand in the way of the Reformation. And if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor, and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing.
the church that you're sitting with, the building is not the church. The church, which is the people with whom you are sitting by and large, and where this church as a whole has nailed its colors, so to speak, are in these things. Sola fide, sola Christus, sola scriptura, sola gratia, sola Deo gloria, and BBC. I hope sola amor. Let me finish with Luther's statement to the Emperor King Charles V at the Diet of Worms. I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen? Where do you stand? Where do you stand?